Welcome to Guys We Fucked. <laughs> guys We Fucked. Guys We Fucked. I'm Christina. I'm Corinne. We're sorry, sorry about, about last, last night. night. The anti slut shaming podcast. <laughs> I never stop. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Guys We Fucked. It's the anti-slut shaming podcast. I'm Corinne. I'm Christina. And thank you so much to a new sponsor that we have today, Unbound Box. (laughs) Everyone's like, (laughs) you can unbound my box or what? Do you like something? We're going to make a box about it. Uh, Unbound is the rebellious feminist company that's making shopping for sexual wellness products way less overwhelming. They have dozens of collections to choose from, including body jewelry, bath products, condoms, lube, vibrators, and more. And you can even opt to receive a quarterly subscription box, which is curated around a new and innovative theme every time. Unbound tests hundreds of products and carries only the top selections. Better yet, all products are satisfaction guaranteed and body safe. So if you don't like it, you can return it. I'm actually wearing a sweatshirt from Unbound Box right now. It's very comfortable. Uh, Christine and I got these boxes and it was nice because we're like, oh, we can get, you know, sex toys just shipped to us and we don't have to think about it. Sex toys and a Hillary pin yeah. and a necklace. That's yeah, like exactly. And then we opened cute. it and there's like, there was these really cute uh, earrings and this necklace. Mm-hmm. I've actually, I don't even like jewelry very much and I've worn all the jewelry because it's just like nice for every day, but it makes a statement. Um, and it's just fun to like get something in the mail. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I wish more people would like send me letters, but yeah. like, I love these box things because I'm like, ooh, what's it going to be? Me too. It's exciting. They're small. They don't take up a lot of space uh, and it introduces you to new products and things. So if you guys are interested and it's also like a really fun gift to give someone if you're like, I don't know what the fuck to get this bitch. Oh, dude. Every bitch loves uh, right. bitches love jewelry. Bitches love lube. <laughs> bitches love vibrators. A lot and of it's like the, it's a gift that people it's like if you're a real narcissist, like you'd want to give a gift that people will think about you like once a month, every month. Oh, yeah. Great. Option. I didn't even think of that part of it. Right. That's why you Good got me call. here for 20% off your first unbound purchase. Visit unboundbox.com and enter the code. Guys, let's say it all together. G W F at checkout. That's unbound. U-N-B-O-U-N-D. I really hope I didn't have to spell that for you. Box. Oh, shit. That's how it's spelled. Dot com. Offer code GWF. 20% off your first Unbound purchase. Come see us live. Uh, I'm going to be in Philadelphia Friday, September 15th. I'm headlining the Philly Comedy Club. Uh, Toronto, Canada, September 21st and 22nd. Uh, we're at the Just for Laughs Comedy Festival in Toronto. 21st is a live recording of the podcast. Uh, sell that out. Come yeah, to it. It's not sold out, guys. I mean, it's not. On. Oh, yeah, because I sell. I, I, exactly. I, don't so worry, that's why we need to do it. <laughs> um, Saturday, September 23rd. Glamapus, 7.30 p.m. at Zinc Bar, 82 West 3rd Street, hosted by myself and Wendy Starling. Oh, and we're going to go out of order, but I forgot. Oh, sorry. Uh, on Friday, September 15th at 11.15 p.m. It's my birthday. I can't even believe it's here again. Edition of Nacho Bitches at New York Comedy Club. Uh, code Nacho for $10 tickets, co-hosted by myself and Blair. Doing a very special lineup. I can't even believe I'm a... I'm able to do this, but all the comics I booked uh, are from my hometown of Union, what? New Jersey. That's so cool. So that's, it's really cool that we were able to do that. Um, and I'm excited for that. And then Boston on Sunday, September 24th at 7.30 p.m. I am headlining Laugh Boston with very special guests, James Myers Ooh. and Christina Hutchinson. Tickets for that one are flying like crazy. So use code Alfred if you want to get $15 tickets that will 
will sell out. And then the next day in Boston, Monday, September 25th, I'm going to be headlining Cityside Boston. Um, admission is free. Just make a reservation because those uh, that venue fills up every week. And then New York oh City on Thursday, November 9th, we are doing our biggest New York City show to date as part of the New York Comedy Festival. We are so excited. It's a almost thousand seat theater in Tribeca called the Tribeca Performing Arts Center. Is it in Tribeca? I hope it is. Yes, it is. Because <laughs> sometimes they'll I say mean, like something's in Tribeca and then it's like on 45th Street. Yeah, and you're like, fuck you. Um, But uh, this is going to be the best night of your life. This you is a big come. deal. We even like invited people we know in real life, which when you when you, uh, you when you start doing comedy, like basically two years yeah, in, you my stop. show can you come to my show yeah can you, you stop inviting show? friends um but, but we invited real show. life people to this <laughs> please buy a ticket asap Our we want to sell this out friends will be there my dad's coming like this Aww. is a big deal this is a big deal guys um and that's it thank you so much <laughs> with school starting up again and schedules getting a little tighter cooking might become less of a priority Luckily, for less than $10 a meal, Blue Apron makes it easy to create delicious seasonal recipes with step-by-step instructions and pre-portioned ingredients delivered right to your door. You don't even have to go to the grocery store. My dad is obsessed with Blue Apron. He gets it every week. And then one time when I switched banks and I didn't put the new debit card information, he was like, Christina, what the fuck? Where's my Blue Apron? And he was very upset with me. Um, This is his, he loves Blue Apron and he loves it because my mom and him can do something fun without fighting, which is pretty fucking cute and adorable and fun and uh andy he eats better when he when he eats blue apron and not burger king uh some of the meals available in september include summer veggie vegetable and egg paninis with calabrian here here we go christina mispronouncing everything calabrian chili mayonnaise and capri salad soy glazed pork and rice cakes with bok choy and marinated green beans that was pretty good skillet vegetable chili with cornmeal and cheddar drop biscuits what the fuck is that Garlic butter, shrimp, and corn with green bean salad and roasted purple tomato. Oh, my God. I'm hungry. Blue Apron uh, knows you're so busy, so now they're offering 30-minute meals. These meals are made with the same flavor and farm-fresh ingredients you know and love and are ready in 30 minutes or less. That's pretty dope. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash G-W-F. That's blueapron.com slash GWF. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. My favorite part is that they guarantee 30 minutes or less. Like it's Domino's. Meanwhile, like you're in charge of making sure that it's right. right. So if you fuck up, that's on you. So if you start posting on Facebook, you're screwed. Don't get distracted. Okay, last ad, we promise. Uh, Casper Mattresses, they've been a friend of the podcast since the beginning of ads, and we really appreciate them. Casper is a sleep brand that created a premium mattress and sells it online for a fraction of what it would cost in a store. Their business works by continuously developing their mattress using feedback of nearly half a million customers. In fact, their San Francisco R&D team recently developed a proprietary foam that relieves pressure and increases airflow. Uh, real customers have said the mattress is like sleeping on brioche and like being cradled by the tinkling of baby laughter in the moonlight. <laughs> Buying the Casper is easy. Just order online. And whether you're the, in the U.S., Canada, and now even the U.K., it's delivered to your door in a compact how-did-they-do-that-size box with free shipping and free returns. Uh, we both have Casper mattresses. Alfred has a Casper mattress. Uh, these are really, really comfortable mattresses. And 
at the price that they cost, you're you're just not going to get a, a better mattress. Uh, and they're not paying me to say that. I'm just saying that. I um, love my Casper mattress. It's true. But there's, I really do. There's just no, the, the deal is really good. And uh, for pe- for busy people, it's just really great because it comes to your apartment or your house in a box. You don't have to like wait home for five hours while two guys bring in a huge mattress. Oh my God. You just put it out and it just fucking... It's, it's really magic. Nice. It's yeah. magic. It, uh, it, and it's and it's like a fun process because it's like those little those little pills you drop and it becomes a dinosaur and or it becomes like a wash rag like <gasps> the ones that you did and and then you're like yeah. wow how is a whole mattress in there I did one for Brantley and he went wow and then like if you're stupid like me you try you think that you yourself can move by putting the bat the mattress back in the box even though they use like a really I would have thought that too props hi <laughs> <laughs> like a, a very expensive machine, machine. did that initially. yeah a machine <laughs> Tommy was like you're not you're I mean Tommy <laughs> maybe could do it <laughs> no he was like Corinne that you're just not that's just not move it uh, considering we spend one third of our lives on a mattress, it's so important to truly sleep on a mattress before committing. That's why Casper gives you 100 nights to try it out. And if you don't love it, they'll pick up the mattress and refund you everything. So if you guys are interested in the market for a new mattress, want to get your parents a really cool gift for Christmas, you can get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting www.casper.com slash GWF and using the code GWF terms and conditions apply. Uh, one thing I forgot to talk about last intro. <laughs> oh boy. Is this about farts? <laughs> You're laughing like it's about farts. <laughs> no, I wish. <laughs> no. Remember when we watched the eclipse? Oh, AKA, yes, yes. I think it got dark a little bit for 30 seconds. Me and we were like fucking we fucking adults. We took our Kashi goddamn cereal boxes and we followed a YouTube video and we cut holes in them and then my fucking hole Ugh, my whole like doubled from transporting to the studio oh, which right. we recorded our audiobook, which is available for pre-order and it's very good. Um and and it just it it made me it makes me giggle every time thinking back to everyone in that park. Yeah. Like I I I almost wanted to postpone the last day of the audiobook record or it was like five pages we had to read, but you know, figure out another date for it and to go to the path of totality. Because I was like, oh, my God, it's going to turn fucking dark in the day. That's insane. It would have if you had That's driven down south. I know. And I debated. And then I watched all these YouTube videos. This guy was on an Alaska Airlines flight. And he's like, oh, my God. Oh, my. It was like he was coming. But, like, I get it. Because what he was showing, what the camera was showing was fucking gore. It was... I mean, if I didn't know what was going on, I would have thought, oh, this is the end of the world. Right. But it was so cool. And then... <laughs> Fucking, we were sitting around, and so who? A lot of people said that animals were going to be acting all weird, and I was just staring at geese for like two hours, being yeah. like, "The geese looks weird, right?" Or no, is that what he always does? Well, it looks like a statue, right? Uh, maybe not. And I just thought it was funny because last night I thought of when those like middle schoolers came with the teacher, and they all had their fucking, they oh, had like yeah. fancy versions of our shit cereal box, right? And they were like, and this one kid was looking in the box, and he was like, <gasps> "Wow." But like it wasn't that cool. No, I mean at well, that moment. And also, I saw a video of it later, and I'm like, what the fuck? And I didn't, it I didn't even realize the sliver I'm watching in this goddamn backwards cereal box is the fucking moon. Oh, you didn't know that? It oh, I, it, I should it, told you. It that. just looks like because it just looks like a bunch of spots. 
shots of light. I was like, I could have shown, I, I could have shined a flashlight in a box at home. It was the most anticlimactic. What the fuck? Result of what I expected. Like it, the, it was the biggest difference of ratio between how climactic I expected it to be and how just not thrilling it was at all. Yeah, I have no everyday. <laughs> I have no everyday logic. So like, I was, I was. We were like, I guess we should go to this park. Number one, I didn't even realize when I was making this fucking cereal box at home. I'm thinking I'm using these as like glasses. <laughs> oh really? And I'm like. Why am I no. trying, like, why would I make this to turn around and watch and watch a like of a shadow puppet show? I ruined Steven's Kashi zero box. Yeah, he's, I was like, all right, a fucking cereal box. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. That was just so funny. And then the video of you, I watched it like ten times oh, on my Instagram. God. Cringe, oh yes, Prince's reaction to the uh, solar eclipse. She's like, I think I just got my period. <sighs> it was just so. I just to see ev- all these New Yorkers outside, and they're like. But everyone's going, whoa. With high-powered jobs and college degrees. Oh, yeah. And, and everyone's our, like, look and at fancy the box. And we're all there like an idiot looking into a goddamn cereal box. I mean, it was cool to see the sliver in the end of my Kashi cereal box through that tinfoil. I but f- I also was succumbing to the pressure of that I put on it to have a great time and see something spectacular so i feel like that reaction was just kind of forced it needed you know? to get dark if it didn't get dark it's like yeah. why are we even here that's something Divorce i can notice out of that basement uh yeah that was not real that was a bit oh, fucking i know worse. it's uh, the just... worst part is when comedians trick you with bits and you're like God damn. yeah about their dog <laughs> oh <laughs> i hate when comedians trick me about their dog i was very concerned for alfred and i was very disappointed in oh. how he was behaving oh real talk he did have v- very vicious diarrhea all over my apartment <laughs> last night no on your apartment all on your o- couch i put the the Sucks. brand new br- uh branch and bowl bowl, bowl and branch <laughs> branch and bowl whatever branch and bowl. Oh, they're not biting sounds like this anymore smoking weed and climbing trees <laughs> so no they fuck it i which are great they are really great they are sheets. good sheets i got free say. promo and then I was like, he wiped, he had diarrhea and then wiped his ass. Don't <laughs> <laughs> so worry, Ma. I got it. It's called expensive ass doggy toilet paper. <laughs> Bullen Branch. A better way to wipe your dog's ass. And I'm like trying to go to bed. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> Wait, he wiped his own ass? That's pretty progressive. Well, because, you know, <laughs> dogs drag their butts across things to uh, wipe it. Yeah, there's this commercial of this fucking, every time it comes on, my dad dies laughing where this woman's just sitting on her couch entertaining a friend and she looks over at her golden retriever and she's like toby and it just, the dog just looks like it it's it's like doing something so horrible and foul and it's just rubbing its ass across the carpet it's so oh funny. It's yeah i don't funny. mind when he does it like normally because he doesn't have diarrhea on his butt he just does it because like you know he's i mean like he has he's sensitive because he's a puppy so he has some allergies and like the anal glands yeah my filled. brother's dog yeah but uh this time he actually just wiped his butt on my i have one <laughs> pair of fart? all white sheets oh he oh, no he. Does, i think i don't maybe like once he's farted he has dude fart. steven's parents dog buster farts so bad but oh, yeah. it's always like a puh. and then it's just armageddon in the whole house and yeah. you're like oh my god and but then you're like am i making the dog feel bad yeah no he's young so he i don't think i think he's not farting too much but how that are you diarrhea is vicious yeah okay. i'm sorry that happened that sucks yeah well i mean it's it's you know it's like at least i don't have a kid <laughs> um <laughs> <laughs> uh all right so you know, I really, I, 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 I really try not to create Facebook drama, but I just cannot help myself. So I was um, on a comedy fest, scheduled to be in a comedy festival last week, 
uh, in the last week, the Brooklyn Comedy Festival. I want to give them a shout out because everyone thinks like this has anything to do with them like negatively and it doesn't. Brooklyn Comedy mm-hmm. Festival is fabulous when it happens again next year if you're local uh, or if you want to fucking fly in. Tremendous shows, uh, great lineups, reasonable prices. Oh, nice. Julian and Chris who That's run important. it. Thumbs up. Really good dudes. And I know we're like supposed to Julian's hate Julian's a dude? Julian. Oh, uh, yeah. that's a hot name. Really, really great people. And this has absolutely nothing to do with the Brooklyn Comedy Festival. They handled this like champs and like people who understand comedians. So I want to make that very clear yeah. off the bat. Now, let's trash talk some bitches. Oh, let's talk shit. I'm not naming names, but if you fucking know how to use Google, you can find out what who I'm talking about if you're like desperate what happened, to do girl? so. Because even Steven came upstairs and was like, is Corinne okay? I saw her Facebook. And well, I was like, what? I'm just so furious. There's, we want to talk about there's a war on fucking everything these days. Um, there's a war on free speech. And if you do not understand that, you don't understand. And I, I think it's really important, especially on this podcast, because number one, podcasting is the ultimate free the speech, ultimate platform. free speech. There are so many uh, creators and comedians who are able to express their opinions, opinions that would not be heard on any mainstream programming if it were not for podcasting. Uh, and I know we've talked about this so many times before, but like our podcast at the beginning, if you guys have been listening for a long time and remember, was uh, tried to they tried to censor it on iTunes. Yes. So we're all part of this free speech discussion and that's what today's episode it relates is to every all person about. in Absolutely. different ways but it does free speech is it relates to everybody and it's part of freedom which is why we all fucking live in america so i was scheduled to do the show it was the day of the show they had already sold tickets promoted me uh and you promoted it uh yeah use my name to to get people in there mm-hmm. everything and so this was being outside produced for the brooklyn comedy festival by like a like blog slash magazine, actually a magazine that Guys We Fucked has been featured in. Yes. And then also a very popular like internet fem- feminist kind of uh, beauty site that makes a lot of videos. So you okay. decide who it is. So the comedy uh, festival producer says, oh, okay, the outside producer just wants to have a quick word with all the comedians. So this woman emails us all. It's maybe like, less than five hours before showtime. Okay. She goes, hi, all. So excited that you are all joining us tonight. It should be a great show, blah, blah, blah. Um, sh- but I just wanted to make one note about content. So, and- whoa, that is not a discussion that is ever posed to a stand-up comedian. Right. And ever. so I want to say like this lady, number one, is not a comedian. Ooh. Oh, I'm already heated. Damn. <laughs> she's not even in the comedy industry. And she's now telling me on the day of the show, after using my name to promote the show, what I can and cannot say out of my own mouth. And for a stand-up comedian in my own act, all we have is our thoughts and opinions. That is... And jokes like that is stand up. That's our words. You can't you can't fucking censor that. Take that away. So she goes on to say on our sites, we try to avoid talking about women's bodies negatively or like things that need to be fixed. Anything in the quote, I'm fat and I need to lose weight vein. I'd appreciate if you guys would leave any material like that out of your sets. And she said it very casually like it didn't mean anything. Then I lost my shit. The thing is, in the email chain, did you reply all? No, absolutely not. I kept it professional. Good um, for you, girl. There was a lot of really fa- like fabulous comedians on this lineup that I really respect, and I was really bummed not to be able to do the show because I was in, I was like I would say I was like one of the least talented, okay. and I think I'm very talented. Yeah, yeah. I was one of the least talented people on this lineup. lineup. This was a fucking killer lineup. Yeah. Um and um. 
and so like and I think to the 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 uncomedian ear this might not seem like that crazy of a request but like I know something is bad news if like I feel a bodily response to it and so like I wasn't even angry in my head my body was angry yeah that's just wrong that is wrong and so I because I didn't know this woman, I replied specifically to the singular male comedy producer who I had a pre-existing relationship with, uh, who I um who who booked me. So the woman that had emailed you wasn't a comedy show producer. She just worked for the the magazine. She works for the magazine, yeah, with website. And you know, they and they're basically the this the issue is companies are now trying to use comedy shows as brand extensions, which is our art is not a brand extension. No, it's not a fucking extended commercial for your goddamn vagina website. And and Stephen had said (laughs) this to me uh, a while ago about deals that you and I had, Corinne. But everyone, I'm noticing this pops up they people want the edge they don't want the fucking risk mm-hmm. the risk meaning oh, of, of offending people who gives a shit comedy's yeah. supposed to make you uncomfortable sometimes it's okay well i mean and also like this is my fucking area of expertise yeah. if you want to like and i and it's it's just offensive on many reasons so i'm actually gonna read and then i posted i i did respond to the the guy and basically i said well, almost what i said on facebook but i'm gonna read the <laughs> facebook thing better because i i like the way i worded this better. yeah me too so i was like I always like put like my schedule for comedy on Facebook. And so I go tonight, 8 p.m. Just dropped out of a Brooklyn comedy festival show because after booking me, one of the female non-comedy producers told me that to stay on brand with the magazine and website who are hosting the event, I couldn't call myself fat. I'm not, but I should be able to say and think that I am if I'm in a fucking fat mood slash say that I wanted to lose weight slash say anything negative about my own body on stage. Please, I will body shame myself until I am Instagram fucking ready. Are you going to write me a new seven minutes? Didn't think so. (laughs) And yes, I do co-host the Comedian Project where we don't allow sex dating or relationship talk, but we tell that to comics before we book and promote them so they have the freedom to decide whether or not they want to participate. Also, the Comedian Project is for all sexes the show tonight is just women and the purpose of the comedian project's censorship certainly isn't to protect people's feelings fuck i am so heated right now sharing this because i know how desperate we all are for spots for real i still travel to brooklyn to perform for four disinterested people at least once a week but comedy is already in danger and i just cannot be a part of its death you know what's more degrading than body shaming telling a 31 year old woman who has been doing comedy for seven plus years that she does not know how to do her job correctly if you are not confident enough to sit through a comedy show without taking every joke as a personal fucking attack then you should be at therapy not at a comedy show um amen the lineup is fucking stacked and that show is going to be amazing because it's full of some of my favorite people and some of the best joke slingers i know and all this anger is totally only directed at the producer lady but goddamn this is not feminism go out and tell a joke about what a fat fuck you are tonight no matter if you're a size double zero or a size 22 um and I see an, and, well, and, and but this woman worked for the a feminist publication and it's like, <clears throat> all right, right. <laughs> Come on. And, and you mean, do have jokes that I love the well, gym. Jo- I mean, you have so many jokes that do you do c- comment about bodies in general in your body and they're fucking amazing jokes. But that's your 
But those are your words. It's your body. It's your words. Right. It's your set. It's your jokes. And also, I mean, the 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 the, the beauty of comedy and, and the catharsis comes from being able to talk about things that we think about a lot and that bother us a lot. Yeah. So it being in this industry, especially, and just being a fucking woman on the planet with a body, we are naturally going to talk about bodies a lot. And uh, it's something that everyone it's like it's and it's also makes me so angry because it's like how much of my time is spent listening or almost hiding uh comments about my body and what other people are saying about my body but, but i you can't, can't say anything retort in my right. own set are you out of your goddamn mind so i got heated and the real the real thing was like it's like if you're hiring a professional comedian to do a job for like $50, also side note for this gig, <laughs> you have you have to have faith that they can talk about anything in, in a, in a and, that, and, and I even wrote back to this lady. I said that includes rape. That includes pedophilia. I'm like, if you don't want to, you either want a comedy show yes. or you don't want a fucking comedy show. Yep. And it's like, I'm not, yeah, I mean, I know she's not a comedy booker, but it doesn't matter. Like if you're booking comedians, you should, you can see their clips on YouTube. You're listening to their podcast, whatever the fuck you want to do to like get a sense of their tone. But then it's like a a lot of people book you and I on shows to draw because we draw because the people listen to this podcast are fucking awesome. And they come out to shows and they're wonderful and they're great crowd. They're great audience members. I'm actually really proud of everyone who listens to this podcast and comes out to our shows are, there's only like one or two off the top of my head shows that I'm like, Ooh, fuck this. But then otherwise it's the comedy community loves our audience. Like it's to that point. Like when people do glamor plus and stuff, they're like, damn, your crowd's good. And they are, but it's like, you you can't, uh, you just have, it's the faith. It's the trust. And it's the don't fucking, that's so insulting. Sure. And then, I mean, so, and this goes on and and it was, and I was really, and I, and I, this is a lesson I have learned from working on this podcast and trying to engage people in constructive conversations. I mean, cause what I wanted to do is reply out long ago, you're a dumb cunt, but I didn't do that. <laughs> um, yes. Cause sometimes so, I want to say that too. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And so I, and so I, and so I talked to the, the comedy producer separately. And then obviously it got back to this, uh, you know, blog, whatever, uh, producer, she's more <laughs> than that, but I just am mad. Um, and so she was like, just, spoke to blah 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 from the Brooklyn Comedy Festival and he let me know uh that you think tonight's show might not be a fit for you because I wasn't even trying to make a sync I just wrote replied and said I'm I gotta I gotta re- remove myself from this lineup that's all I said I right. said I said I I hear you, you didn't even want to I said this is not the show for the me notion of being able to talk about certain things right and I had to leave early so I was gonna be first on the lineup and I know myself well enough that if I let myself do that show I was gonna end up mm-hmm. causing Doing the material. a scene yeah and ruining the show for everybody else. So I was like, I'm going to remove myself from this situation because in five hours, I'm not going to change an entire uh, magazine and website's uh, thoughts on body image. But I think I can make a statement that's loud enough if I just as someone who's the, one of the biggest draws on the lineup, yeah. remove myself from the lineup. Yes, 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 yes. And, and so she's like, the body stuff, she's like, we ha- happy to talk this through as we would love to still have you participate. The body stuff, stuff walks a really tricky line for our audience. For example, in a <sighs> oh, recent no, show, hate this we had a comedian talk about how she had to go on a diet because the industry uh, and guy she was dating expected that of, of her, recognizing that women are subject to these huge pressures about their bodies and what they look like. That was totally cool. We just don't, I'm doing a 
Aichi voice. Sorry. That was totally cool. We just don't want to perpetuate the quote skinny is better idea ourselves. Oh my God. Does that make sense? And then you're not, if you hire comedians to do a thing, it doesn't mean that you think what the comedians think. Well, and it just doesn't mean. It, 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 God it's, damn. It's just either, either, either it's free speech or it's not free speech. There's no fucking middle ground. It's not like, oh, this is what our audience yes. wants to hear you talk about. Well, then I'm not the comedian for you. Uh, you should fucking do your research on what I talk about. Uh, then she fucking links to an article. Oh, no. And I oh, the article, it's going to make, oh, that would have made me so much more pissed. Dude. And it's an article from the magazine that she works for, which is never a good way to back up a point. Um, <laughs> Everyone who works with me and agrees with me also backs up my like opinion. It's like if I was with someone and opened a page in our book and had them read it. Yes. Like, See, and I wrote it down too. <laughs> um, please read my Twitter. I discuss it uh, at length. Um, oh God, I hate when people say at length. So, so, and this is not a body shape, but this is, there is a, I'm sorry, there is like a medical, being medically morbidly obese is a thing. Of it's course it is. But the point. My favorite show is my 600 pound life. Like, yeah. I, I know it. And uh, and so she sends me. And the first thing I see is a picture of a woman who is medically morbidly obese. Right. And it's just like, your new wife, your new wife is curvy as fuck. And I'm just like, oh, that's I, just, that is so fucking condescending. It was. And, condescending. And, I, and I do. I, I would be curious uh, to hear from people who are who are more overweight. I don't know what the word adjective, the non, right. and non mean overweight, like, but like if I, I mean, I'm not that, but if I was, I would think, correct me if I'm wrong, please email us that that's fucking insulting. Like, just don't fucking to- like, you know, prance around my lifestyle as and say this girl. So it's, it's exactly the equivalent of going, wow, you went outside with no makeup. That's so brave. Yeah. Fuck you well it's also like i mean i've heard a lot of my friends who are heavier be like they, they would they just say things to me like fat people know they're fat and right like, right right we all have shit going on we all have things that you know and maybe you're heavy and you want to lose weight maybe you're heavy and you don't fucking want to lose weight whatever it is that's your absolute choice like i like i talk about a lot of times like yeah like we all have like a thing that maybe is not quote healthy but oh yeah do whatever the fuck you want to do yeah do whatever the fuck you want to do that's not the conversation and, and somebody else is like <clears throat> and, and making jokes about her or whatever like that's just <laughs> I, like she has to come just to go into there and just start pointing at like, people and going, you're, you're a, a whore, <laughs> you're a whore, you're a whore. Right. And, and, and so, and I would be equally aggravated about this if I didn't have so much content on this, but then it made me even more aggravated. Right. And you have great like, content on it. I have, you know, I had 12 other minutes I could have done. That's not the issue. I could have easily skirted around this and had a great set, but I should not have to. And, and so I go. I said a lot of stuff that I said before and I said it is not the comics job to cater to an audience. I am not a jukebox. I do not take requests. I agree. Oh, hell yeah, girl. <laughs> I agree skinny is not always better, but I can still want to be skinny. And I think that's this thing in this in this body positive society, body shaming has gone the other way. I can want to be skinny and you have to respect my wishes to want to be skinny. Yes, hundred percent. Because you want that's me to respect your fucking business. You being whatever you wait you want to be, you can. You have to respect the fact that I work really hard. I go to the gym a ton. I'm fucking p- p- food processing shit. I work really, really hard on it. And it's um. And I had just literally come back from like a brutal training session at the oh, gym. Jesus. This email, and I was like, "Are Ooh. you fucking kidding me right now?" Yeah. Damn. And if that, uh, and so then I go onto the email. If that threatens an audience member or makes her feel bad, that's something she needs to work on, not me. It doesn't make me bad or a bully or a body shamer or an anti-feminist or a person with an eating disorder. 
The article sent uh, you sent me is fine, but it has nothing to do with the email you sent out to the comics. That's It was more a piece directed towards people speaking to a heavier woman in her everyday life. And I agree, no one should be commenting on the bodies of others in everyday life and people with a sexual fetish rooted in weight, as well as an essay on self-love and acceptance. That was the, what the article was about. It had nothing to do oh, with what we're talking so about. The can- oh, it was God. just literally about heavy women. Uh, any comedian with experience knows how to talk about anything in a smart way, even the scariest topics, rape, pedophilia, etc. It is our job to talk about the tough stuff. Once we start letting society or consumers tell us how to do our jobs, comedy is over. Uh, I have been pl- uh, placed on another show without constraints, which I was uh, in the festival, uh, where I will be able to do my job properly. And I know your show will be phenomenal. The lineup is great. Things will be better this way. Again, thank you for writing. I respect your opinion, but I do not share it. And um, damn, girl. Uh, I, and I, yeah. and it's so funny because it, 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 people have are still asking me about this. This was like a week ago. And not only comedians, people in the uh, publishing and like media industry oh. that, I, that I've worked with before have reached out to me. Like it, it like went through. Everything. Can I get a comment from Miss Fisher? Um, and then in closing, after all this drama on Facebook, uh, a another a fellow comic who I love and respect, super feminist and, and amazing and talented, uh, messaged me privately. And she goes, are you talking about blah, blah, blah? And I go, I am. She goes, I knew it. She said, I had a similar problem with them last year. She goes, I hosted a comedy show that was, quote, again, another fucking brand extension for them. And she said, oh, I hate the word brand. And she said, apparently there was like a, quote, body positivity panel that happened before the comedy show, which is never the correct order to do things. And what? one of the comedians on on the show who I know and is a sweet person and a talented person, and I've worked with her before, she used to be really overweight and mm-hmm. now she is thin. And she was talking about it in jokes at, on stage. She's the perfect person. To, that's her and experience. And she is allowed to. That is her fucking experience. She yeah. wasn't saying like fat people or have less value. And the audience heckled her off stage. What? And that comedian left the show crying. So I just want to, we have to be really careful because yes, no, we, we shouldn't talk about f- fat people or any person like they are less value. But in trying to stop bullying, a lot of us have become the bullies. And uh, it, it's not okay and body positivity does not mean making people who look better than you feel bad. Correct. Anytime I see lots of uh, uh, hot Instagram people and they're allowed to be a size zero and they are allowed to be proud of their bodies and they are allowed to go on whatever fucking diet they want to go on. And they're allowed. And to I'm allowed to like that shit on eight my Instagram. hours at the gym. They're, this is this is it, if it's that's a threat to you. You got to look on the inside. Yep. And then so that was my and you can't you cannot censor a comedian's speech or anybody's but the fucking point of being a comedian could you imagine if someone went up to Wendy Starling because she was she was on this podcast because she was raped and she has a fucking incredible bit it's edgy it's uncomfortable it's beautiful it's vulnerable it's hilarious it's everything. I couldn't, if someone, if I witnessed anybody going up to me, like, can you just not do that? Bit? I actually brought Wendy she up. Was, oh, really? I did. That's amazing. I like, brought Wendy up. Because, she has shit that's so, mm-hmm. what, what a lot of people would say, wow, that's very edgy. It's right. fucking great. It's great material, but it's her experience. If anybody, could you imagine if someone was like, can you not do your rape bit? Like, I know you're a rape, but right. like, don't do the bit about it. It might trigger someone. So I'm going to take your experience sure. and I'm going to put a cage around it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Comedy is certainly healing. Fuck. And you know what? Maybe comedy is just like every, you know, just like everyone's not into acting. 
acupuncture, maybe comedy is not your specific brand of healing. And that's okay. Then don't go to comedy shows. But you can, audiences cannot start telling comedians what we can and cannot say. That is so dangerous. Uh, comedians have are so often the people who start things in society. Uh, I'm, there's a lot of comedians you can think of who have, have started really important uh, conversations and social movements and have uh, had a lot of pull in them. Comedy is a powerful force and yeah. it's underestimated and underrated and a comedy club the room in a comedy club is sacred. Yeah, and a I don't comedy think, show I, room yeah, is sacred. I don't have these views because I am a, I'm a comedian. I, no, this is why I am a comedian. Yes, um, and so we feel so strongly about this issue that we actually made today's whole episode about Dude. freedom of speech. And I'm so I was looking forward this, to this episode for so long. Yes, I want to thank <clears throat> Melissa Ann Ziegler, one Woo! of my best friend in the whole world, and the best lawyer in the whole world, and uh, a superhero. Um, she, this woman that we are interviewing today on guys, we fucked is one of her mentors. She is what, <laughs> this was such an incredible interview. I was so honored to speak with yeah. to her. Uh, we could have talked to her for more for like five more hours. She is a professor of law at New York law school. She's the first female president of the American civil liberties union. Uh, she's currently a member of the ACLU's National Advisory uh, Council. She wrote a book called Defending Pornography, Free Speech, Sex, and the Fight for Women's Rights. She's working on a book right now that I'm really excited to read uh, out in 2018 called Hate, Why We Should Resist It with Free Speech, Not Censorship. Ladies and gentlemen, please give a warm welcome to Nadine Strassen. You were born when you were cursed and watched it go from bad to worse. Mm. And you could cry and you could grieve, but sometimes it's just best to leave. Mm. So you got gone and you got found, but lately he don't come around. Around. And now you're broke. Now you're tired and it keeps blowing out your fires mm. But I'll be, I'll be your pilot light I'll burn for you through the night Every night now Nadine Strassen, professor, you were the first female and the youngest president of the ACLU, yes, right? Yes, yes. Wow. What a badass. You're so cool. <laughs> and you are my best friend, Melissa's idol. She, and she was a fabulous student. A she's amazing. Student. Yeah. And she, in her career, it's just so amazing to see her just crushing it. I don't I, think she's lost a case yet. And oh, she's, and she, she, oh yeah, it's true. I'm very yeah. superstitious. <laughs> and she's the man, she manages people. She's like kind of people's bosses too. In addition to her case, I'm like, man, I'm so proud of you. So, so she was a standout student and through her, I got to meet you. Yes. Yay. At your lovely Connecticut <laughs> home. Um, so we were talking, we were having a discussion about free speech. I think this is a really interesting place to start because it's very timely about protecting free speech on both sides, on every side of every argument and how people 
didn't you say something about it, Corinne, on your social media and people yeah. got pissed off? Well, I mean, that's a whole different thing. I mean, that was I mean, there's a lot of censorship in a lot of areas right now. I mean, especially as stand up comedians. Um, and yeah, I guess I'll talk about it in the intro for this episode. But uh, I was recently uh, hired to do a show for the Brooklyn Comedy Festival. And like they had used my name to promote it. I was on the lineup. People had bought tickets to see me the day of I get a an email from one of the producers basically telling me that there I couldn't talk about my own body in my set um, in a negative way. I, I couldn't talk about anything I wanted to fix. And so I... Uh, Odd parameter for stand up. And so I, I said, well, I am. A, I'm sorry, but I have to drop off of this show because this is really dangerous territory that we're heading into. And I wrote this whole big thing on Facebook, as I like to do. Um, and it became like a huge issue. And I didn't mean it to be, but I think it's really important. And that's why I, want, I didn't want to share it. Like, look at me. I'm so great. But I think it's really important. And we have a lot of feedback. Um, on this podcast, we have a lot of young listeners, a lot of, uh, you know, millennials who I think are, are really want to be involved and do the right thing and say the right thing. But I think sometimes they lean towards uh, shutting people up when I really don't think that well, is, you know, everybody. <laughs> we all, of course, support free speech for ideas we agree with. That's the easy thing. Yes. Right. Uh, my friend, Nat Hantoff, who sadly recently died, although at a ripe, mature age, um, <laughs> wrote a book whose title said it all It was called Freedom of of speech for me, but not for thee. How oh. the left and right relentlessly censor each other. And then there was a writer for the Los Angeles Times who I think said it even better. He said, the urge to censor is by far the most strong human drive. It's even stronger than the sex drive. Ooh. Whoa. <laughs> That's saying a lot. Even with men? Whoa. <laughs> and I think that, you know, well, I can give another quote. Madonna had a line that that was um, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, freedom of speech is as good as sex. <laughs> so it, that is a good like, line. Yeah. Good, good for you, Madonna. <laughs> but, you know, because I think there's this natural human instinct that if it's a bad idea, it might cause bad things to happen. Mm -hmm. And we don't want to take a risk of bad things happening. So let's shut up that idea. Mm -hmm. And what's hard about defending free speech, which I do cheerfully, but you can't do it in a soundbite, because you have to get people say, for example, the ACLU, the organization I was um, proud to head for almost two decades, uh, has always defended freedom of speech, even for ideas we deeply disagree with, such mm -hmm. as anti-civil liberties ideas, freedom of speech for Nazis and KKK and the alt-right and communists and other totalitarians. Um, but the reason, so people will say, why is the ACLU defending the Nazis? Why are you defending the alt-right? And I'll say, we are not defending right. them. We are defending freedom, a principle that has to be defended wherever it's attacked so that it will be available for exactly the opposite message as well. And if you look at our history, uh, those very same principle that allowed the Nazis to march in Skokie, this town with a lot of Holocaust survivors and oh. other Jews, that mm -hmm. was Ooh. 
That very same principle we use to allow Martin Luther King to march in Cicero, Illinois, a community that was as hostile toward his views as the Jews in Skokie were toward the Nazis' views. And same thing with, you know, why do anti-abortion protesters want to demonstrate outside an abortion clinic so they can get the attention? But that means that we can then allow somebody who's protesting, you know, a Defense Department policy to get to demonstrate outside the Defense Department. So it's a neutral principle. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't exist for speech that's controversial in one place, it's not going to exist for the exact opposite message, which in another place is going to be equally controversial. Yeah, it's not a universal freedom. And it's, and it's, I mean, I've, I was actually interested in, and one of the questions I have for you was uh, when people do a, a protest outside abortion clinics, and and the same with the with the Nazis protesting in that town that was primarily uh, Jewish residents. What's the line with what they can say? I mean, because obviously threats are not okay, legal. So very, very and, then, and that's a perfect example. So you know, I'm writing this whole book, uh, which is called Hate why we should resist it with free speech, not censorship. And for that book, which I want to reach a general audience, not just lawyers, I had to really boil down, you know, thousands and thousands of pages of Supreme Court decisions into simple principles. And I was really able to do it, which was very educational to me, too. So all of that complex free speech jurisprudence really boils down to two simple, sensible principles. One is a reason that you may never censor speech, and the other is the only reason that you can censor speech. So you may never censor speech, mere, and th- this one is called viewpoint neutrality. You may never censor speech merely because the government or the majority of the people disagree with the viewpoint or the ideas. That is never a justification for censorship. You may censor if but only if the speech presents an emergency, an imminent danger of serious harm that will happen immediately unless there's censorship. And you can only use censorship as a last resort. If law enforcement can prevent the harm, you need to have law enforcement. Mm -hmm. You know, if um, counter speech and education persuasion can prevent the harm, then you need Mm -hmm. that. And so one example, uh, and the Supreme Court has created like these subcategories that (laughs) satisfy the emergency test. And one of them is called, lawyers call it a true threat. You know, not the way we loosely use the term threat in everyday life, but it has to be when the speaker means to instill a reasonable fear that there is going to be harm. So it can't just be, oh, I feel scared. It's got to be objectively based. And the speaker doesn't have to intend to carry out the harm. The mere fact that you feel reasonably frightened is enough because that already chills your freedom of movement and your freedom of speech. I just, that just reminds me of everything Donald Trump says. <laughs> I can't, it's hard to, it's hard to, because when you're saying this, he, he, I mean, I know that politicians, this is a time of, 
strategy of instilling fear in a means to control. But that's, but in, I, a, that's in a loose way. I mean, okay. like you fear that bad things are going to happen to the country. But, you know, th- there are many things short of censoring his speech or the speech mm-hmm. of his supporters that we can do to avert that danger actually coming to pass. Right. So it would be uh, let me give you an example of a Supreme Court case. Oh, oh I can give you a, a horrible example that occurred in Washington, D.C. Just I testified in Congress recently. Wow. Um, on censorship on campus. And what was really amazing about it was all these college students came to the Congress to hear the testimony. And one of them, I'm sorry, I'm not going to remember her name, uh, an African-American woman who had just been elected president of the student body at American University. And to my amazement, it was the first ever African-American student body president at American University. So the day that she was installed as president, there were all of these nooses that were displayed. I know I get a chill as I hear that. And to make it even more pointed, they hung bananas in the nooses and they had on the bananas, they wrote the initials of her sorority and it said something, you know, like die. That is a true wow. threat. That right. would make you really reasonably fear. You know, not that bad things are ultimately going to happen to the country, right. as Donald Trump might instill, but that bad things are imminently going to happen to you. Physical danger. Oh. <laughs> so saying that a population uh, stereotyping uh, Mexicans as rapists is not... See, that's an idea. And it's an okay. idea that we right. may deplore, but it's not posing a threat of imminent violence. Okay. And another major example that may well be satisfied by uh, you know, some other current events is what's called incitement. But again, mm. not the way we loosely use it. So we would j- say, oh, Donald Trump is inciting people to have discriminatory ideas and that might lead to discriminatory conduct. Now that's too loose too a connection. Layers, yeah. Exactly. You know, so when the Supreme Court used to enforce this very loose test, which it called the bad tendency test, and it used the word incitement very loosely, you know, that might lead to a bad idea, that might lead to bad conduct sometime in the future, Oliver Wendell Holmes in dissent said, well, every idea is an incitement. And he didn't mean, therefore, we can censor any idea. No, it meant we have to have a very tight and direct causal connection, the emergency Mm -hmm. standard. So Holmes said only an emergency can justify repression. And and for an incitement, it would be, uh, it has to be intentional incitement of imminent violence that's going to happen immediately. I mean, the the banana in the noose. Well, that's a a true threat. So it's a different kind of harm. So there was a case that the Supreme Court had. I mean, it was a very sad case um, arising. So many of these cases arise out of context of race. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just so much of free speech jurisprudence came from the civil rights movement because Martin Luther King and the other civil rights demonstrators were constantly censored because guess what? Their speech was seen as threatening, frightening, dangerous to national security, incitement. So I always want to remind people that now we associate censoring speech with censoring anti-racist, but uh, those same principles have been used for advocates of every form of justice and equality. Yeah, not too long ago, too. Why did Martin Luther King write his famous letter from a Birmingham jail? 
because they, he was trying to speak and that was treated as a crime. Mm-hmm. You know, Margaret Sanger, why did she and Emma Goldman and other advocates of contraception, they were imprisoned because, oh, they're inciting by giving women information about contraception and about their bodies. Oh, that's really dangerous, right? Because, you know, it was a crime then to use contraception. And if people get this idea, well, guess what? They might be incited to violate that law and to use contraception. How dangerous can that be? Wow. Right. That's why it's terrifying as a comedian, because, I mean, people just don't realize. I mean, like if you watch the com- uh, the history of comedy on CNN, uh, it was not very long ago that Lenny Bruce was getting dragged off stage and arrested. And I'm like, how can in you not see In San Francisco and yeah, New York, no, of I all know. places. How important this is uh, and how crucial it is to this art form surviving. And threatening he, people's comfort levels. <clears> and that's what they're going off of, but they're saying that it should be their liberty to take away but others. But what's so rights. good about comfort? I, I mean, know. for comics, for educators, for civil liberties activists, all of what we do, we're trying to move people out of their comfort levels, right? Play to with the boundaries. Them. Exactly. Well, when you're comfortable, you don't do anything because you say, I feel comfortable. I'm okay. I'm not going to make a change. When you feel uncomfortable, you say, I have to do something to get out of this state of discomfort. You know, one of the <laughs> favorite lines that I've come across on, on these topics with all of the campus center, uh, controversies about censorship and you know how many major comics don't even go on campus anymore yeah. because they... they Famously they, Jerry yeah, Seinfeld, of yeah. course, yeah. Um, and my favorite statement came from quite a long time ago. It would have been around the year 2000, I believe. Um, uh, Ruth Simmons, who was the first... African-American president of any Ivy League university and the first female president of Brown University. Her grandparents were enslaved uh, and they were already having these kinds of battles now where students are saying, I want to be comfortable. I don't want to hear an idea that's unwelcome. And she said, education is the antithesis of comfort. Mm, Uh, Isn't that true? She said, if you come here seeking comfort, then there's yon iron gate depart. But if you (laughs) care about education and about justice, stay here and fight. I had at Penn State, my first year of college was at Penn State University, and there was a, a preacher or pastor uh, <laughs> every day I, pa- I would pass him and he would say how homosexuality is the worst thing a human being can do. It's worse than incest. It's worse than rape. It's worse. And I mean, go worse than talk. murder. Yeah. Wow. Oh, he said, I mean, he made, he made the most ridiculous and a lot of his, the things he was saying was so outlandish, yeah. but I would see people get really angry at yeah. him. I'm like, that's what he wants though. Yes. And yes. he can say yes. what he wants to say on this campus. Like the, there it's, it's a free speech zone. So you yeah. can't, exactly. I mean, it made me uncomfortable, but that's life. There are, and you know, there are so many, we've been sort of talking about the principled reasons of why there should be robust free speech, but there are also very practical and strategic reasons. And I was very in, because what you do by censoring an idea or a speaker is you draw more attention to them, right? You, Mm. you increase sympathy for them. Uh, They become free speech martyrs. People who try to censor them lose the moral high ground. 
So I was just writing about, you know, this infamous Skokie case, which kind of um, epitomizes American law on this subject, because we really, in law, live up to the famous Voltaire statement, I I despise what you say, but I defend to the death your right to say it. Mm. And that pretty much sums up, as I said, the viewpoint neutrality principle. It doesn't care how hated or loathed the idea is by how many people, if it's not creating an emergency of physical danger that's imminent going to happen, say it. And the, and the answer is counter speech or law enforcement. So when the AC, when the, the, um, Skokie officials supported by the local Jewish leaders in the community initially were going to let the Nazis march there. That was always their, the strategy of all the major Jewish organizations because they didn't want to give the Nazis the publicity Mm. that they were seeking. And how do you get publicity by being confronted either through violence or through censorship. But through some agitators, they changed their position. They did pass these laws trying to block the Nazis from marching. And next thing you know, for years, that became just a media sensation all over the world. The Nazis got all of this attention that they never would have gotten. I was shocked because I just read for the first time that the the Nazis had had uh, submitted a permit application to march for twenty minutes <laughs> with that's it, huh? Thirty people, which is probably a wild exaggeration. They probably didn't have thirty people. That <laughs> nobody would have paid any attention. It would have <sighs> come and gone. Instead, it became this media frenzy for mm. two solid years. And same thing with Milo. As recently as January, I knew intelligent, well-educated people who had never heard of him. Yeah. But as soon as colleges started trying to shut him down, that suddenly becomes this worldwide phenomenon. Yeah. And then on the other side of that, like we, I was telling you earlier before we started recording, we were censored from iTunes and the Daily Beast gave our first, gave our, our interview that, like almost immediately upon releasing the podcast. And the headline was the podcast too hot for iTunes. Oh, that's perfect. Right. So oh, that's congratulations. It, it really does. It really does make this idea so much bigger. You know that there, uh, there are actually, it's such a common phenomenon that I came across many different terms that are accepted. So the forbidden fruit phenomenon, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And um, then have you heard this, the Streisand effect? Because so to do with Barbara? <laughs> Barbara? Oh, it does? Yeah. yeah. So like many years ago, um, she tried to suppress photographs that yep. had, of her Malibu beach home. I was home. just talking about that. Yeah. And, that's, <laughs> and then everybody got so interested and it got far more attention and publicity. Than, so Absolutely. a lot of people wow. call it the Streisand. You're, you're evidencing the Streisand effect. Well, wow. I mean, another legendary group, obviously the Spice Girls <laughs> that I quote a lot of times. I mean, that, this is not their original quote, but they always used to say like any publicity is good publicity yeah. because unfortunately in the world we live in, it absolutely is. I mean, even the story you just you were just telling, I mean, it, it's kind of similar to Charlottesville. Obviously, that was a bigger oh, scale. Yeah. But I mean, I did a lot of research on that and, and the alt-right really depends on liberals pushing back yeah. as free publicity for this notion that most of the country does not share these ideals. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> I was very interested to read 
read an organization that I really admire a lot called the Southern Poverty Law yes. Center, yes, SPLC. So they recently issued a brochure specifically for campus because the uh, right-wing groups are, and the white supremacist groups are now really gearing up to recruit on campus. It's a big target for them. So with school mm. starting, they issued this, this brochure, which was very helpful. What should students who are opposed to those white supremacist ideas do? And I had not realized this about SPLC. They absolutely oppose counter demonstrations. They wow. understand why people want to do it, but they, you know, cajole and persuade that this is going to be it's going to be counterproductive to your goal of trying to draw attention away from these people. Yes, have another event if you'd like, but have it completely separate. Mm. Have it be affirmative so you can have a party and celebrating diversity and equality mm. and inclusivity, but don't go face to face with them that you're you're falling into their trap when you do that. It's like they gay do pride parade. Like what's more annoying than just like a bunch of gay people celebrating yeah, their dancing and <laughs> oh, throwing I, sparkles in the air. My favorite see, since the whole theme of my book, and I really believe it. I believe that free speech is by far more effective mm. uh, in you know mocking them, decrying their message, recruiting haters away from hate groups, recruiting other people mm-hmm. um, to support equality, providing comfort to people who are victimized, um, passing anti, you know, there's so many positive steps. Martin Luther King is so unbelievably eloquent, but of all the eloquent statements he's made, I think my single favorite one is this, and it's on the front page of of my book. Um, In the end, we will not remember um, the words of our enemies but the silence of our friends. Mm. I'm getting getting. so that's that's what we have to. And, you know, that makes me think of um, the TSA and all those, you know, regulators of transportation are always saying, if you see something, say something. So I'm thinking if you hear something, say something, right? If you hear some hateful message or you hear somebody being harassed, then you have a responsibility to Mm -hmm. speak up. Mm -hmm. Well, I was just reading about, speaking of like counter-protesting and stuff, in Boston, Mm -hmm. um, there was a, Mm -hmm. uh, I forget how they marketed it, how the white nationalists marketed (laughs) it, but it was basically, it wasn't like white power rules, whiteies (laughs) forever, but they marketed it that you could free speech. Yes, so it wasn't, um, and so, but then there were, I don't know if it was a counter protest or, or just it was, they people, were surrounded. Yeah. But, but it wasn't there. I, to my knowledge of that, I've read there wasn't violence. And in fact, the people that mm-hmm. were the liberals were mm-hmm. actually helping the white nationalists if they wanted to escape the crowds, like wa- oh, escorting them through yeah. the masses so they wouldn't get injured. But that was, I guess that was a counter protest, yeah. but that sure worked. I, I'm not sure I don't know. because I don't know enough of the facts and you see it would, but I don't want people to be denied an opportunity to speak. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to give them oxygen or publicity, but mm-hmm. I don't want them to be so intimidated by the counter protesters that they right. can't voice their message because ultimately, whoops, Whoa. that can do more harm than That's good. the ghost of the KKK. Wow. <laughs> Whoa. The lights just went off in this uh, room. Yeah, that was a little... <laughs> we Ooh. went from black to white. How about that? <laughs> Damn. <Hey-o. laughs> well, I mean, I, I saw some aerial shots 
robots. And basically, uh, everyone who was doing the counter protest uh, seemed to be very excited because they're like, well, look, we got and them surrounded. Cake. But it's like, but they, but if you had just not done the protest at all, it would have just been like 35 30, people exactly, exactly, in the center. Exactly. And they would just like, look like idiots exactly and they wouldn't have gotten attention and that's that's but they they rely on like i also think too with their marketing and branding strategies mm -hmm. i don't know if they put this much thought into it uh, but that's what i'm getting out of it oh oh absolutely you better believe it they 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 view equality as radical and that's and that's what they kind of push on to liberals and kind of use it against them and that's why the liberal snowflake kind of stereotype can be i mean I, i understand um being upset when liberals are like, well, I don't want racists to be able to say mm-hmm. racist things, mm-hmm. but it, you, you, it, it just, you know what? If there are people with racist ideas, I want to hear it, right? Yeah. I want to know who they are. I want to make sure that they don't translate their ideas into action. So I kind of want to watch that. Right. I want the opportunity to perhaps debate them to if that would be helpful in persuading somebody else who might be on the fence to hear an open debate will be much more persuasive. But I also have a very hopeful attitude that uh, I would like to discuss with them to try to dissuade them. Have you ever done that? Uh, no, I've never really had the opportunity. Well, I mean, not somebody who was an out and out racist, but people with whom I've had strong disagreements. I often do that. And I, I always ask for the opportunity. It's always in a public context. Mm-hmm. I do a so debate, much public speaking. I don't really have time. <laughs> <I have very laughs> t- not enough time for private conversations, even for my friends. Um, um, but, it, you know, it's one of the reasons why I always say if I have a, a choice, can we please make this a discussion rather than a debate? Mm-hmm. Because I think debate is designed to kind of score points. So you're trying to emphasize the differences. Yeah, there's a winner and a loser. Well, there's yeah, ego yeah, involved. Yeah, sure. Whereas I really believe in trying to find the points of commonality and of I've debated like every major conservative anti-civil libertarian of my time, including Justice Scalia, Justice Thomas. Wow. Um, and this is actually You've how, debated Justice Scalia? Yes, many times. <gasps> on and abortion? On, on, on what? Everything. Right? everything. <laughs> oh, except we're, we, you know, one of the nice things about being a neutral, so, well, it's true for all of us, but uh, the ACLU deals with so many issues. I'm really aware of, of, of them perhaps more than other people are. And 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 when you are a thinking person and you're part of an organization that is not just knee jerk, um, then there is no other thinking person with whom you're not going to agree on at least some issues of common concern and disagree. Mm-hmm. So no matter and 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 I can say that in, and I used to, you know, uh, on the issue of sexual expression or pornography to use the <laughs> demonizing term, I had in my book examples and pictures to try to that could convince anybody, no matter what your ideology was, no matter what your sexuality, no matter what your religion I could give you an example of where you would be very upset that something that somebody else called pornography was being censored. So take Mm. a Christian conservative, for example. There's so much in the Bible that falls under any definition of pornography, including very, really? well, very violent, you know, gang rapes and murders. Oh, that's and, in the Bible? Uh, oh, 
Yeah, I've never. I grew up with zero religion, so I've never read it. I actually really want to really read religious texts. I would not have guessed that gang rape is covered in the Bible. Yeah. Well, you can uh, read just a few pages in my book, Defending Pornography, which gives examples from the Bible of what would be censored under the so-called feminist anti-pornography law. Wow. Uh, yeah. Dang. Yeah. But Jesus hung out with a prostitute, I right? Uh, yeah. Um, well, some of this may have been from the Old Testament. Oh, too. right. There's yeah, two. Yeah, yeah. There's the old yeah, one and yeah, the new yeah. one. Damn. Um, I have a question. Uh, we were watching one a speech that you gave before we came here, and you mentioned something about a, a woman who was anti-choice protesting in a safe speech zone on a mm-hmm. college campus. Mm-hmm. Now, when I went to college, it was just whatever. Uh, so, it's New York City, yeah. Uh, but I mean, also, I'm just a little bit older before this stuff kind of like free free speech uh, zone thing started. Um, but I know my cousins go to school in that kind of environment. And what is that? What is what is the free speech zone? The whole campus is it's Exactly. So You're exactly right. The whole campus. I mean, except for a classroom, right? So basically you should have a right to engage in free speech, which would include with a group as well as individually in any place that is not disrupting the educational function. Okay. So you wouldn't do it in a classroom unless mm-hmm. the class is not being used for teaching at the moment. But certainly any public space, right? Any sidewalk, any, you know, grassy area and so forth. Now, if there are multiple, let's say there are multiple groups that all want to hold a demonstration at the same time, then there could be what we call viewpoint neutral time, place and manner restrictions. Well, we you, you can't both use it at the same time. So, you know, first come, first serve or some other neutral approach. But the it's so Orwellian to have these <laughs> tiny little zones and they're way remote where nobody can see them. Um, that is a way, that's a form of censorship and the ACLU and FIRE, the Foundation for Individual Rights in Education, have been challenging them with great success. Mm. So, you know, a lot of the stuff that we're talking about is unconstitutional, but the fact that it's unconstitutional doesn't mean it goes away. The Constitution is not self-enforcing. So until or unless you get a student who has guts enough to and cares enough to speak up against it and gets involved, you know, gets an organization that will help her or him to challenge it, uh, you know, the law might as well not exist. And that's mm. why we ha- it's so critically important, A, to make people aware of what their rights are, B, to make them impassioned about their rights. And, and, and so FIRE and the ACLU and, and other organizations that defend freedom, a, a huge majority of the cases are won just by making a phone call or by writing a letter. Because once you tell the government official that, you know, by the way, what you're doing is violating free speech, they don't want to waste their money fighting it. Right. Is what about facts? What what happened? What are those? What but exactly. <laughs> I was like, Ooh, what about them? <laughs> well, because it is it legal to for the president of the United States, for example, to state a statistic that is incorrect. Oh, I'm going to be a law professor, and, and, and that's and, what I want. And, I, and I, I'm and I'm going to ask because law professors answer questions with questions. With questions. <laughs> Do you think that it should be illegal for the president or for any official to uh, lie? Should it be illegal? Yeah. Well, what constitutes a lie? Oh, your dress looks lovely. But I don't think so think? because sometimes you have to lie because he it's his job to keep us like safe. And so I think sometimes you have to lie to keep hy- hysteria from, from happening. 
And so I think what I'm trying to say is why we think it's outrageous for a president to lie. Right. It's even more outrageous to think that the government could be policing truth. Right. Right. Especially because sometimes it's ambiguous. Sometimes it's hyperbole and you don't want and and sometimes it's a a nice white lie to make people feel better. And um, there are very. So, in fact, the Supreme Court had a case a few years ago in which it said lying is not automatically cannot be punished. It can be punished in certain very specific circumstances, Mm. such as, let me give you an example, fraud. If you make a lie that somebody reasonably relies on and that causes specific detriment, you know, you say this product is going to do X and the person pays $100 and the product does not do X. Yeah. Yeah. So that is a lie that's punishable. But, you know, the kinds of lies that we hear or exaggerations or half-truths that we hear politicians make all the time, we wouldn't want the government, like, you know, listening to what they say and we okay. do we, we do want counter speech, right? We want oh. PolitiFact and all those other monitoring organizations to be telling us when it's a lie and to be giving us the accurate information. That's much more informative than just stopping them from saying well, it in the first place. balances of the government. Yeah, I mean, like, basically, Thankfully, you know, yeah. that's why, it, you know, so it's like you, he can't turn into a dictator. Like, we have people checking what he says. But I mean... But statistics, though? Statistics, well, if, if you... But you can, if I you, think it's like if you start, like, nickel and diming, like, what it can... What it can be. Yeah. I mean, like, for instance, like, if you want to go really woo-woo into stuff that I like, like aliens, yeah. I mm-hmm. fully believe that there are aliens, but the government can't tell us that because we'll freak the fuck yeah. out. Right. But true, the people true, at the top, true. 100% know. Like, Do Barack you know, Obama like, knows. You've chatted with the people in the government. Are there aliens? <laughs> but statistics are... I get back to that, but statistics are also, you know, so debated. True. And it depends on how you frame it. And Mark Twain, great humorist uh, said something. He said, there are lies, damn lies, and statistics. Mm, right. Damn. Yeah, yeah. You got a good collection of quotes up there. When, when, when I used to be doing these debates against, there was this guy named Ed Meese who was attorney general under Ronald Reagan. And he was, you know, people hated him the way they, I mean, liberals did the way that a lot of liberals hate Jeff Sessions. I mean, mm-hmm. extreme right wing, uh, very influential. And uh, we debated on everything, crime policy and race and abortion, you name it. And and I remember one time at, and we both had statistics, but they were completely uh, different from each other. And yeah. neither one of us was lying. We you had different, different sources and Bias. are, you know, looking at different premises or describing them in different ways. And I remember at the end of one campus debate, some student came up to us and he said, do you two live in the same universe? So I guess that gets <laughs> back to your question about aliens. <laughs> <laughs> he was one of them. <laughs> I, I'm interested and this isn't, I wrote about it in the book uh, a little and it's, it's an, it's an issue that it's really hard for me to talk about with someone who disagrees with me without me losing my temper. And I really want to try and talk to somebody who, and have a discussion with somebody who believes opposite of me because I want to see if I can get through it without yelling. Um, abortion mm-hmm. and women's right to choose what to do with their own body and, and, and all that. And the, and how, and I know that there are many reasons, but w- uh, America is an industrialized nation, but has one of the highest maternity 
death I know. Rates. I know. And there are factors like more women in America are obese than in other countries. Uh-huh. And you can link that to the uh-huh. food and what we're what passes as healthy uh, mm. from our government. But oh, yeah. why why would a man have say like the idea? And I know this is such a simple, silly thing, but like the idea that men decided that mm-hmm. like that's just I mean, how? how but and, there, and also, there are women for there, control. There are women who support restrictions on abortion. I just agreed to debate one right before coming down here. <gasps> you, yeah. Did you debate her yet? No, I just oh. they just invited me to oh. do the debate. Is it, is it yeah. a public debate? Can yeah, we go? can yeah, we it's going to be at the University of Virginia. Of oh, so we have to uh, yeah. fly out. <laughs> well, I'm sure it'll be would, on YouTube. YouTube, unless yeah. YouTube might censor. What are the standards for censorship? Um, YouTube, you just can't steal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you can't steal okay. stuff. Just don't play like a Marilyn Manson. Exactly. Song. If you have a copyrighted song in your video, they'll take it down. Otherwise, you get. I think she shows slides of like aborted fetuses. Maybe that might not that might not cut it on YouTube. I don't know. Well, I, I was when we were in Washington D.C. We played a gig at the Nine Thirty Club, and I walked around before the gig because I got got to the city early and I was walking, I walked mm. to the white house and mm. there was this guy who had the pictures. Like he just went to Kinko's and mm. had a day and they were huge, like half yeah. the size of this giant conference room table yeah. of dead fetuses. Yeah. And I'm like, look, yeah. no one likes the yeah, idea exactly. of killing babies. You got it. Yeah, no you person got it. in yeah. their right mind, yeah. unless they're yeah. a murderer yeah, exactly. specifically for yeah. babies. Yes. Um, so it's, it's like, Oh God, dude. So, Be, stop know, being so lazy. The interesting the thing. I mean, it's a great question, Christina. I think part of the reason why, well, you know, the, in the thousands of debates that I've done, I really lost my temper only once. And, oh. and, and I, I thought that I was eloquent, but I was showing my anger and I was yelling. I mean, I was at a high pitch and everybody told me that was the least effective debate I had ever done. Mm. It wasn't that substantively it was ineffective, but that affect so detracted from the persuasiveness. So you have to, if you want to be persuasive, certainly to the person you're directly debating, but even to the audience, that's got to be an incentive for you to mm. control the anger. Is that uh, why Hillary Clinton never lost her shit? Because I'm, I'm looking at her oh. and I'm like, girl, I know what you're doing. All those debates, I was yeah. in the corner of the room. Yeah. What the yeah. fuck? What? The but one where he was like creeping up behind her It's the whole just, time. it's not effective. People, <laughs> for some reason, and you know, you're in media, so you know this stuff. People don't judge you so much by what you say as no. by what they call your cue factor and your personality 100%. and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then the other thing that works for me, and, and and it's not a put on. It really f- it feels genuine. Uh, I have not debated somebody who I think is a person of bad faith. You know, uh, we all start at a broad level with very common values, a real reverence and respect for life, a joy in life, a belief in ideas and education. So by definition, if they're, if they're debating yeah. me, they're open to different ideas. They're willing to put their ideas to the t- so we have a lot of commonality at this high level of abstraction and then passionate disagreements about how do you show reverence for life given that the fetus is definitely a potential life given that the woman is definitely a life mm-hmm. uh, and her, and her, a life that's going to be immediately impacted by whether or not she's forced to carry the pregnancy to term uh, but I think you have to recognize that there are 
concerns on both sides, if you will, and that I think people of goodwill can come out differently on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it, I, would I say it's um, so I don't think that they're evil people. I don't think that they're people who hate women. I mean, some no. of the, some of them might, some but of not, them might, but I do yeah. think that they're fighting for something that they believe in. Yes. Everyone is. Even, yes. You can argue that the, the extremist terrorist groups mm-hmm. are fighting for their religion and they're passionate about what they believe. Oh, yeah. I mean, I always but think this, that about ISIS. Yeah. yeah. But if you <laughs> believed, so if, seriously, if you believed as these people do, uh, according right. to their religion, it's like, and you can't kind of, a belief in that sense is not subject to persuasion or dissuasion. It's right. just, you believe in it. Um, if, if you believe that the fetus is a life, then killing it is tantamount to a terrorism terrorist killing a, a born child. They mm. honestly don't see any difference. Wow. And I have seen people who have that deep faith and they look at me because I will never, I will often go into pro-life so-called organizations. I don't believe in only preaching to the converted. Um, and they have, you know, they look at me and people like me the way you, yeah, of course. And, and, and I've had people say to me things like, Oh, well, you don't look like a devil. You know, literally what? you don't have horns and a tail because they think it is so evil to support abortion the wow. way we would say it's evil to support terrorism to advance mm-hmm. your view of the good life. Do you know hmm. people, are there people, I'm sure there are, but have you ever come across one or t- debated one, talked to one that believes that uh, contraception should be illegal? Like is anti-contraception? Certain, certain forms of contraception that they believe act as abortifacients. Oh. Yes. Not so not the birth control pill? No, but certainly the morning so-called morning after pill, mm-hmm. they do. And I can't uh um I can't remember tech which ones, but this was a case that went to the Supreme Court. Under the Obamacare case, there were certain forms of contraception that a like number of religious life. organizations thought uh, were abortifacients and that employers should not have to uh, even provide insurance that was, you know, like the employer was two steps removed from it. Uh, and the Supreme Court, by a five to four vote, said that they didn't, four. yeah, didn't have to provide wow. that uh, kind of but insurance. It, has anybody ever um, also believed, have you ever met, and I specifically, uh, I'm interested if there is a male that has ever believed this, because I know a lot of, it, it blows my mind, but I, I, I get it. I do understand that men have so, uh, like uh, when I go, when I've been outside of an abortion clinic or when I'm outside, when I see people protesting with the fetus signs, just in my personal experience, it's usually men. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Wow, the ca- that's so interesting because the cases that go to the Supreme Court, the demonstrators have all been women. Oh, really? So I wonder if that's strategically picked by the lawyers to make yeah. it seem more sympathetic. Oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Oh, that, that sounds <gasps> about right. Shit. But I, yeah. I wonder if there's a man who also believes who who's anti-choice and who is uh, instead of pro-life. I don't like saying pro-life anymore because it's it's I not. I know. I know. Your branding ain't gonna work on yeah, me. Yeah. Um. Uh, ironically, a man did point out yeah. like you should say anti choice i'm like shoot yeah, right yeah. um but if, if uh, no one's ever been against men masturbating because that's a bit ba- that could have been a baby yeah 
I know. So there was a very funny article that was written long, long ago, right after Roe versus Wade first upheld this right, and then it immediately became enormously con- controversial. And a law professor, I'm sorry, I can't remember her name, wrote this article, and she said, well, first of all, she said that um, if abortion, if men could get pregnant, abortion would be a sacrament. You heard that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she did then use, she, she spelled it out, I want to say, spilled it out. <laughs> Uh, you LOL. Know, yeah, that if there were going to be an analogy, that that would that, and she actually drafted a law that was in the law review article that um, it would be a crime for a man to ever ejaculate except inside. I love the fact I can say this on the air. I could, yeah, you could say whatever you want. That it would be a crime <laughs> for a man to ejaculate except inside a fertile woman's vagina, and if he ever ejaculated outside of that context he had to catch the stuff and put it in a baggie and run it down to some local place where it could be stored and ultimately used for in vitro right wow because that's that's 800 year potential babies and i want to make sure that they get their chance if that's the argument that we're taking it's it's very um it's very infuriating uh and i know i know you've spoken about uh, abortion and its relationship to gender equality can you speak a little bit about that yeah you know it's so interesting that the very first woman on the supreme court sandra day o'connor who was conservative republican Republican from a very conservative state arizona she was the majority leader in the state legislature uh so she was no feminist liberal activist and yet so it was very surprising and she had spoken against Roe versus Wade Mm. uh, but then when push came to shove and it was the first time the Supreme Court after she joined it was considering in a very important ACLU case from Pennsylvania called Planned Parenthood versus Casey Mm. the Supreme Court was being asked to overturn Roe versus Wade and everybody thought that the votes were there uh, because O'Connor and Kennedy had both spoken against in other cases. Uh, But to everybody's surprise, there was this uh, very dramatic joint opinion by Kennedy and O'Connor and Souter. All all three of them were conservative Republicans appointed by conservative Republicans. And they all reaffirmed um, Roe, but they did it on a slightly different rationale. So Roe was based on this notion that's usually called privacy. It's a little m- bit misleading a term, but it means the r- freedom of choice to make decisions for ourselves on private matters that relate to our own bodies and our own sexuality and so forth. O'Connor inserted a women's rights rationale. She, for the very first time, she said women can never be truly equal members of this society if they don't have control over their reproductive functions. And I, and, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who had been the founding director, Director of the ACLU Women's Rights Project, she had always made that argument too. She wasn't on the court at the time, but she was making that argument as a her. lawyer. Yeah, she's she's an angel. <laughs> but but how how come her. though that's not? It's still a isn't it? States uh, states have the power to enforce trap laws, which are essentially 
you know, the blades of grass on your on the lawn of your clinic cannot exceed two inches. Oh, I, an expector goes down and they're three inches shut down or hospital privileges, yeah. which are unnecessary. But you would think hospital privileges make sense. But then you learn that a colonoscopy yeah. is actually exactly. a riskier procedure. It, so these are all. So the standard the Supreme Court uses is and it's actually the standard that O'Connor invented. Uh, the question is whether any regulation imposes an undue burden on women seeking abortions. And and then part of that analysis is, is it just when they say it's to protect a woman's health? I mean, because a lot of them are rationalized. Oh, this is for women's own good. But maybe mm-hmm. that is just pretext. And what they're really doing is just making it more costly, more difficult. And so uh, the women who are driven away from abortion are the poor women and yeah. the young women and the uneducated women and women who live far away from abortion providers, which are becoming few and far between. Oh my God. Texas exactly. only has a few abortion it, clinics, but then the, the maternity, the, the, the death of pregnant women yes. goes up because yeah. if they, if they made a decision for themselves, yeah. they're going to a lot of times figure it out and you know, try well, to. One of the yeah. things that, you know, a free speech <clears throat> even ties in here so well, because uh, a strategy that had never, ever, ever been used before in the last Supreme Court case about abortion, which pro-choice won because Kennedy used the swing vote has been which very, is so very good. Ir- on, like a Catholic, weird. a very, uh, yeah. And so he was appointed by a conservative exactly. president who so, kind of has figured that he was going to vote. That's so, so interesting. So it really shows judicial independence. But anyway, in that case, for the very first time, so-called friend of the court briefs were submitted. So when people who aren't involved in the case directly, but they say, we've got some perspective that we think would help the court decide this case that has earth shattering significance far beyond the parties immediately before the court. And for the very first time, briefs were submitted by women who had had abortions, prominent women, successful women, professional women, including many lawyers and district attorneys and judges Mm. in which they said, We've had abortions and it was so essential for our careers, for our family. So really giving substance to this idea that O'Connor had introduced, but in the abstract, we would not have meaningful equality. We would not have been able to pursue our education. We would not have been able to pursue our employment. We could have been good mothers to our existing children if we had not had the option of abortion. And what it was almost like coming out of the closet. I hate to say that because abortion has been so stigmatized. Oh, it's like yeah, you can't, definitely. you don't talk about I it. I uh, want to talk about it all the time. You I want the word to be but, used but all the time. That's because so you, important. You're really making a big contribution. I thought that was a huge breakthrough. Yeah. Why is it such a taboo? And as you were saying earlier, Corinne, that, you know, even though the government doesn't censor certain speech, there, there are these social taboos that are yeah. as speech suppressive. And even though you have a right to an abortion, somehow it's treated like something that so you should be so defensive and apologetic about, and you should be ashamed of it, mm-hmm. and it should be a stigma to you. And the only way to overcome that is to talk openly about it. And mm-hmm. you can be a role model. Look, you know, I I, yeah. I, I'm, I had an abortion. I'm happy about it. Right. And I'm proud of it. And well, it, yeah. it's interesting as somebody who is so pro-choice, pro-choice, pro-choice. And then the topic of like late-term abortions had come up because uh, people email us 
from all over the world uh, at all hours of the day, the most fast, their, their stories. And a lot of times they're stories that they haven't told anybody else. And, uh, you know, I never really had looked into it, but a lot of times, and then I, and then I started to research it. And, and a lot of times if, if it is determined by multiple doctors that your baby will die either in utero, but if not very shortly after birth, like minutes, an hour max, that's a, a, a huge reason that a lot of women That's get a major these. reason. Most of the women who have those abortions are people who their planned pregnancies. They yes, really, they really wanted, the, wanted baby. the baby. Well, the, I we uh, heard from a woman who um, just said uh, I could speak because I said if anybody has any experience with that, I'm just curious to actually hear from women who have experience. And and she, this one woman who wrote us, had said uh, she wanted the baby so bad. Her and her husband have, have been wanting a child, and uh, and they learned seven or eight months yeah. in because and a lot of those abnormalities can't don't, don't manifest until and, late in the pregnancy and she said i made the choice to have the baby she gave a she gave birth they they were they were like 70 30 it's going to be a stillborn the baby and but she she gave birth and her baby died maybe two minutes after mm. and she held and she yeah. actually she sent me the picture mm. of her holding her her mm. deceased child and but she said, I would never want a woman to be forced to, to do, do that. I, it worked for me. Yeah. I was glad I did it. And we gave the baby a funeral and we, but that's what I wanted to do. But I would never, <clears throat> so the idea that you would have to force a woman to do that. To and then that the hysteria around the word late term abortion, mm -hmm. it, it, of course, no right human being wants to even think of yeah. babies or dying. partial that's, birth abortion. Yeah, is, that sounds horrible the, the and scary. The language is very important, as you know. And I, uh, I haven't followed this, but I heard that pro-choice is no longer the term of choice, no pun intended, oh. for pro-choicers. So I don't know what the new terminology oh, is. I'm I like curious. it because to me it connotes what the, the central value of liberty is, which is the individual right to make these basic determinations. But um, in the Supreme Court case in which they upheld the so-called partial birth abortion ban with Kennedy switching sides, mm. so we lost that one, five to four, the language was unbelievable. Really? He wrote the majority opinion. He never once referred to it as a fetus. He referred to it as a preborn child, mm. an unborn oh, child, even a child. He never once used the word doctor. He called it abortionist. Wow. So, I mean, you didn't even need to get beyond the statement of the facts, quote right. unquote, before you knew who was going to win and who was going to lose. And this is going to make your blood boil, Christina. Probably. Here is he, you know, this Catholic man, conservative Republican. Well, that's beside the point. Um, he wrote an opinion in which he said, well, we're basically outlawing these procedures for women's own good because women will come to regret. They think they're making this choice, but they will come to regret it. Now, Ginsburg wrote a fabulous dissent. You Hell can imagine. Yeah, she did. But it's, you know, again, <laughs> I say even from bad speech, something good happens because it was that statement that provoked for the first time women to come out and to submit those briefs saying, you know mm. what? I have no regrets at all. Mm -hmm. I'm thrilled that I had that abortion. That mm -hmm. was specifically in response to his opinion. Well, I mean, even if you do have regrets. family <laughs> needs abortion to be legal, I think. Oh, is <laughs> I this mean, a Marilyn Monroe joke? Just any, I mean, just the Kennedys no. in general. I mean, this is a comedy <laughs> podcast. So I just want to well, like the irony of like a lot of powerful people, a lot of powerful people <laughs> who say that they're against it. If, uh, I mean, 
it's like, and then you sometimes stories surface of like, yeah, well, he uh, gave a woman hush hush money uh, to uh, get rid of her situation on the side and stuff. <laughs> but I, I, I really um, do you think, and this is this is, again is like more of a personal opinion versus a law question. But um, yeah, we have three minutes. Oh right? yeah, yeah. Um, that somebody, it seems to me, uh, you know, anti-choice is primarily a lot of Republicans are anti-choice, uh, men and women. It seems the majority. But of you know what? Are. There's a real. There's an organization called Republicans for Choice. There's well, an organization Catholics called Catholics for Choice, for choice which exactly. I love. Somebody yes, emailed yeah. me about that, and I was like, "Oh, thank you for." Because you know what? Emailing they, me so, about that, so I wouldn't have known. If you read their stuff, you realize it's not clear cut that the Catholic Church opposes abortion. And there's something else called the Religious Coalition for Choice, and you can actually go through every religious tradition, including Catholicism, mm-hmm. and there's a lot in there that supports the principle of freedom of choice well the, and the pope the the current pope had had said oh, something right. to effect of we can you can forgive yourself of the sin if you get an abortion like oh, okay thank you but that was a big deal it and was. i think because yeah. a lot of people's eyes catholicism equals restricting and, and yeah. limited freedoms but mm-hmm. it seems like and maybe i don't know i, I don't know if this opinion is is just or not but it why would you want to con- uh, why would you want to vote against a woman being able to choose what to do with their own body unless it's for your control over a population meaning gender I, I, or so like you, voting rights and stuff I just I think it's you just because you don't share the idea but I yeah. really do, they really do think it's murder so that's why calling it a preborn baby kind of captures <laughs> that right you know they're saying what's the big difference between the minute that it's partly out of your body then of course you can't kill it so what right if, but Rebecca Tracer in the, in her book um, all the single ladies was talking about how and she kind of quoted Republican politician speeches about um really being for a wife's, you know, mm. women should be married, kind of being anti-single woman, but not directly saying that, just saying that through other means, because then you have, and then she kind of makes this larger argument a little bit about the means of control. So mm. I was just like, oh, is there a connection there with with women's rights? And I know a lot of people truly just don't want babies being murdered because yeah. no yeah. one wants that. I, and I'm sure there are people who have bad motivations and there are people who have good motivations. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, you know, what's a little bit frustrating as somebody who engages in debate and and reasonable discourse. And I think comedy is, is a the ultimate form of reasonable discourse, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you're always dealing with ideas. There are some unshakable faiths that people have, and I don't know how to, yeah. how to get around. You can't. Yeah. I, 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 I don't really empathize with it. I've never had, Interesting. had yeah. it myself, but I, I see it in other people. Um, but- Thank you. And, we need to let her go. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've got to teach a yeah. class. Oh, yes, yes, yes. I could Is there stay anything? talking to you well, forever. This say, is so like, much fun. There's what do you so want? much more. We'll have you on again, but I would yeah, love, I would love to. that. I would love oh, my God. to. We don't want you to be late for your students because yeah. that's selfish of us. <laughs> uh, this was so interesting. Um, where can we find you and your book and what would you like to promote to our listeners? Oh, I would like to promote, well, my book, but it's not going to be out till next year. So okay. keep your I'm eyes so peeled for it. Uh, Oxford University Press and it's called Hate All. <laughs> All caps, why we should resist it with free speech, not censorship. And other than that, I would say on the issues that we've talked about, freedom of speech, freedom of choice, women's equality, racial justice, every single one of those issues is on the ACLU agenda. We defend all fundamental freedoms for all people, including people whose ideas we disagree with. Um, So we need all the support we can get. These are very challenging times for civil liberties. (laughs) Which is why we're so thankful to talk to you. 
you so much. Thank yeah, we'll, you so much. And we'll put up a link to donate. And, we'll, and when your book comes out next year, we'll remind the listeners. Uh, thank you so much thank for sitting down so with much. us. Thank you so much. My pleasure. This has been Guys We Fucked, the anti-slut shaming podcast. We'll talk to you next Friday. Every day. And if you stumble in only to tell Searching